Welcome everyone. I'm going to call to order our Calabasas City Council meeting of June 26, 2013. I'm Fred Gaines, the Mayor of Calabasas. All members are present tonight. Councilmember James Bazajan, Councilmember Mary Sue Maurer, Councilmember Lucy Martin, and Mayor Pro Tem David Shapiro. And we will start with the Pledge of Allegiance led by our very own Calabasas Cub Scout Pack 333. Ladies and gentlemen, please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Color Guard Advance. Put your right hand over your heart. Ready, begin. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic from which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Color, guards, color guard, post the color. Please salute the flag. Color guards dismiss. Please be seated. Thank you very much to Cub Scouts Troop 333. Pack, I should say, 333. And we'll, we'll count that as the kickoff to our nation's 237th birthday party, which we'll get to some of the details of our Calabas celebration uh, for that in a moment. Um, approval of the agenda. Is there a motion to approve the agenda? So moved. It's moved. Is there a second? second. Moved and seconded. Any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Our agenda is approved. Um, before we move to announcements and introductions, we have two adjourn, adjournments in memory uh, today, and, and I'd like to, um, to start with those for the people who are here for, for those. Uh, first, we are going to uh, have a motion at the end of our meeting to adjourn in memory tonight in memory of Edwin Shaughnessy. Ed Shaughnessy, a longtime Calabasas resident, was the drummer for The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. Uh, he died a few weeks ago at age 84, and during his 30 years with Johnny Carson, he became known for his drum battles with the frequent guest Buddy Rich, and those battles can still be seen today on YouTube if you want to go take a look at it. Incredible um, percussion, percussionist. Uh, he played with such jazz greats as Tommy Dorsey, Duke Ellington, Ella Fitzgerald, Tony Bennett, uh, showed his versatility by accompanying sitar master Ravi Shankar, and on The Tonight Show, uh, Shaughnessy even played with Jimi Hendrix. Uh, his late, late wife, Eileen, was the voice of Disney's Cinderella. And, uh, and Ed Shaughnessy is survived by his son, Dan, and uh, we will adjourn to memory tonight. I know that uh, none of the family members were, were available, but Michael Brockman was a, uh, a friend and neighbor. And uh, Michael, if you want to um, say something and, and then accept the certificate on behalf of the family. Good evening, Mayor Gaines. I'll be very brief. I know we have a long agenda. Um, 
I was not a close friend of Ed. I'd met him a few times when, as a neighbor when I was president of the Mulwood Homeowner Association. Um, but I'm a big jazz fan and have great respect for him and his peers. And just to supplement a little what Fred said, this is the latest issue of Jazz Times magazine that just came out. And on it, in it, it says that uh, Ed Shaughnessy, the former in-house band on The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson for nearly 30, uh, three decades, died May 24th in Calabasas. Uh, the cause was a heart attack. He was 84. Shaughnessy was also an in-demand big band and bebop drummer working with such leaders as Count Basie, Benny Goodman, Tommy Dorsey, Dizzy Gillespie, Gene Ammons, Billy Holiday, Jimmy Smith, Charles Mingus, and Horace Silver, and others. Uh, he also is credited with discovering singer-pianist Diane Shure. Uh, and I would be very happy to uh, facilitate getting the document uh, to his family after the meeting. Thank you, Michael. Okay. Well, whenever one of our residents passes, it's of course a, um, a tragedy for our community, but um, we recently lost Carissa Lee Rex at age 40. Uh, the wife of Kevin, Kevin who's here, mother of Emma and Maxie who are here. Emma is seven, goes to Bay Laurel Elementary School, and Maxie is three. And uh, it's really an incredible community tragedy. Carissa was just an absolute wonderful, wonderful woman. She a third generation Chinese American family from San Francisco. I say she was a wonderful woman even though she was a devoted Giants fan. Um, but she went to UCLA. Not only went to UCLA, she was rally committee chair. This is the person down in the field yelling out the numbers for the card stunts. Uh, active in Mardi Gras, you remember Mardi Gras raising money for Unicamp at, at UCLA. Um, was as professionally, she was a com computer programmer, but had given that up recently to be a, a stay-at-home mom 24-7 with her kids, active in the PFC at Bay Laurel Elementary School. And uh, her, her house was the house of the neighborhood where everybody hung out. It was the house to go to. She was always baking. She was known for her cupcakes. They had a trampoline literally in the middle of the living room because that's where the kids played and everybody everybody hung out there and uh, everything everything revolved around the kids and 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 the school and the community and uh, the school and the community have have rallied um, tremendously for the family um, but but it's it's just an unbelievable tragedy and and uh, uh, Kevin is someone that I've known for a number of years we professionally we've worked together. Uh, as an attorney with the Lewitt Hackman firm in Encino, very well respected throughout the San Fernando Valley uh, in the legal community. And uh, I just want you to know how much, how much of a tragedy it is for our entire community and city. And, uh, and uh, that uh, if there's anything that we can ever do to be of assistance to you and the family, we would like to do that. So we uh, will adjourn tonight in memory of Carissa Lee Rex. I don't know if any other members have any comments, or Kevin, if you want to make some comments. Okay. Well, thank you. I do have a certificate signed by the entire council 
commemorating that we're going to adjourn in memory uh, um, uh, of Carissa Lee Rex. Okay. Uh, our next item of business is our announcements and introductions, and tonight we do have a update presentation from the Las Virginas Municipal Water District. I see our elected commissioner Lee Renger here and also Jeff Reinhardt, but other members of the district. So please uh, thank you for being here and um, look forward to your presentation. Thank you. Well, well thank you. Um, good evening, Mayor, Council Members. My name is Dave Lippman. I'm the Director of Facilities and Operations for the Water District. And tonight we're here to give you a brief update on two pipeline projects in the city. The first one is the replacement of a 10-inch pipe on Calabasas Road, and the second one is an installation of a 30-inch pipe on Moreau Road and Las Virginas Roads. As you mentioned tonight, we do have Lee Ringer, um, Director of District 3 here, John Zhao, our Principal Engineer, and Jeff Reinhardt, our Public Information Person. And let's see if I can get this to work. The Calabasas Road project will replace about 1,500 feet of 10-inch steel pipe that was installed in 1962. The limits are um, just west of Common Way to about 100 feet east of the new Anza Hotel. I don't know if you remember, but there was a failure of this pipeline in November of 2011, and at that time, based on our investigation, we thought it was a localized failure caused by an original construction defect. But then there was a second failure on May 13th of this year. And this is a piece of pipe from that failure. It's um, rather thin and, and quite corroded. So we do know, know now that that pipe has reached its useful life and needs replacing. If anybody would like to see this, I'd be happy to pass it around. We're going to be using a trenchless method to replace this pipe. It's called slip lining. And what you do there is you take a smaller diameter pipe and you insert it in that existing pipe. And the advantages of doing this is we don't have to excavate nearly as much of the street as we would if we use conventional um, cut and cover techniques. So instead of um, excavating 1,500 feet of the street, we're all going to excavate about 150 to 200 feet. Slip lining has other advantages because it allows us to expedite the repair and reduce the disruption to the community. The work in Calabasas Road is going to take place between 8 p.m. and 6 a.m., further um, 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 mitigating the disruption, and should take four to five weeks to complete. There are going to be very short um, water outages because we need to reconnect people from the existing pipe to a temporary pipe that we're going to put out there until the new pipe is in place. Our outreach efforts for this project is, um, are going to consist of contacting the local businesses, um, providing project updates on our website as well as the city's website, um, sending out project information letters to the neighboring community, um, providing road signs along the route so people are aware of what we're doing, have a construction hotline, 
provide news releases and display ads in the Acorn, the Enterprise, and the Daily News, provide posters if local businesses wish to um, pin them up in their windows, and notify both the cycling and the equestrian community about the project. We just opened bids for the project this afternoon. Um, we received a very favorable bid. We're going to award the project tomorrow and should start work within two weeks, hopefully being done within four to five weeks. So that's the update on the Calabasas Road project. If you have any questions about that, I'd be happy to answer them. Or we can move on to our next project, which is the installation of a 30-inch pipe in Moreau Road and in um, Las Virginis Road. We're going to be installing about two miles of 30-inch pipe. It's part of our backbone improvement program, which consists of transmission mains in Agora, as well as pumping and um, storage facilities in Westlake Village which is intended to improve service and fire protection throughout the district. The route of the pipeline starts um, in the area where Moreau Road is two lanes, kind of at the bottom of the hill, if you can picture that. Continues west to Las Virginis Road, goes south along Las Virginis Road, crosses the freeway underneath the freeway, and then connects to our existing transmission main on the south side of the freeway. We have awarded a contract and the work will start this month. The first order of business is going to be the freeway crossing. They're going to use a technique that's called um, jack and bore. They dig fairly deep pits on each side of the freeway and in essence create a small tunnel underneath the freeway where the pipe is placed in that tunnel. The re remainder of the project is going to start probably in September and go through the end of the year with um, um, hopefully the, the excavations should be done in, in November or December with final paving and cleanup by the end of the year. Depending on the location of the project, we will have different um, construction times and, and what the disruption will be. As an example, in the two-lane area of Moreau Road and at the intersection of Mountain um, Gate Drive and Moreau Road, we're, we're going to be working at night. And the rest of the area, it's, it's, um, different work hours are stipulated by the traffic control plan that we have either with the city or the county. The outreach that we're going to perform for this um, particular project, and we've done quite a bit of this already, is we've contacted the local homeowners associations, such as Mountain View Estates and Hidden Hills, so that they're aware of, of what we're doing. Um, we have project updates on our website. We'll be providing that same information to the city of Calabasas, Agora Hills, and Hidden Hills so that they can include it on your website if you wish. We're going to have, we're going to send out a project um, information letter to residents that are within the project area. We'll have road signs placed up. We'll have another construction hotline. We're going to put signage on the 101 freeway that will inform people to not use Moreau Road during the day if the freeway is congested because of the excavation that we'll be doing. However, the contract does provide seven days of stand down time. So if there's a, like a red flag event, we can tell the contractor not to work. Or if there's an accident on the freeway where it's really congested, we can tell the contractor not to work. We're going to provide news releases in the Acorn, the Enterprise, and the Daily News as well as, well as display ads. And again, provide posters for local businesses if they wish to post them up there and notify the cycling community as well as the equestrian communities. So hopefully with um, the prior planning that we've done, it, it's going to be some disruption, but we hope it goes smoothly on both these projects. Happy to answer any questions. 
Council members, any questions or comments? I had one. Uh, uh, Councilman Bazajan. Um, looking at this, uh, obviously it's quite corroded. H how many years did it take to get like this? That was installed in 1962, and originally it had a concrete the cement um, lining and a cement coating. When the first break occurred, what we thought happened was that the outside coating had been damaged during installation, which allowed moisture to get around the pipe, causing the corrosion. Okay, well, I guess my underlying question is, does, what steps does the district take to inspect these from time to time to see how they're doing? You know, that would, that's, a lot, you know that's 50 years ago. So do you do spot checks periodically, or do you just wait for a leak, or how does it, how does it go? We, I mean, I, I know you test the water pressure, right, right. which would tell you a little bit, but do you ever check physically to look on these things? Because this know, is completely... Part of, part of the challenge of checking them physically is what you do if you dug them up and checked them. All you would be doing is identifying that particular spot in the pipe. It doesn't tell you much about the other sections of the pipe. So what we do is, is we rely more on proper installation, inspection, and then cathodic protection. Cathodic protection is a method of slowing down and preventing corrosion. Um, it includes using imported materials to, to surround the pipe rather than local materials, which are more corrosive, um, pitting what are called um, sacrificial anoids in the pipe so that those corrode rather than the pipeline. Majority of our pipes are built out of non-metallic materials, and so it was unusual that we saw this kind of a failure. Okay. Councilwoman Mauer. I just had a comment regarding the Muro Road project. I suggest that you also contact the schools, Lupin Hill, Round Meadow, A.E. Wright, because Muro Road is such a major commuter for schools, and if they could know in advance, it'll probably take them a little while. Yes, longer to you. get to school, I think that would be helpful. What we, and also, I don't know if you can see it on this, this diagram, but the area um, on Las Virginis Road and Moreau Road in the, the city, the city itself, the hours are more restrictive during school session than they are when school's out of session. So, and, but we, right. will we will let the, the school district know right. the activity. That was it for me. Any other questions or comments? Okay, well thank you uh, very much. We don't like when the pipes burst, but we do appreciate the quick action in, um, in uh, moving forward to get that replaced, and particularly the Calbas Road one. So Thank you. We'll, we'll take our pipe and go home now. What, can I just ask quickly, what is the life expectancy of this new type of uh, pipe sleeve that you plan to put in there? Oh, it, we're putting in um, non-metallic material, so it's going to last another 50 to 75 years. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, we'll continue with uh, announcements, introductions. I have, uh, I have none other from the public, so we'll turn to the uh, council. Councilwoman Martin, any announcements or introductions? Um, I wanted to thank all of the applicants who participated in our commissioner interviews last week and to express how disappointed I was that some council members used the proceedings as an opportunity to try and settle old election scores and to grill their opponent's supporters on their election views and activities. Right, this is announcements or introductions. Do we have introductions or announcements of any upcoming activities? You're not going to let me finish? If, 
Well, I can do it. At the is it an announcement or is it a, uh, an activity or an introduction of someone? Then it's not the appropriate time on the agenda. Okay. Do you have any other announcements or introductions? I do not. Okay. Anyone? Uh, we'll go to uh, Mayor Pro Tem Shapiro. <clears throat> Uh, briefly, last week, again, we had some wonderful events in the city. I just want to highlight them and thank staff uh, for all their hard work. The uh, Calabasas is up for the American Bloom uh, National uh, Recognition Awards. We had judges here from all over the country, and staff did a fantastic job in providing tours or information for them. also want to congratulate our CEO, uh, Dr. Gary Lysick, on receiving the uh, award for the CFO uh, Awards Luncheon, which was held last week as well. Uh, and last Saturday at our, at our uh, Founders Hall, we had our first uh, community outreach for our upcoming senior, senior center, senior building, which we will be uh, developing through public input. It was a wonderful turnout. It was a, a well done job by staff again, very organized, very uh, friendly. Uh, friendly to the community. We had uh, only positive comments. And tomorrow night at five, uh, 5 to 8 p.m., I believe it is, at the uh, Agoura Hills Calabasas Community Center will be the second community outreach for primarily for Calabasas residents to attend and give their input on what they'd like and what they'd like to see in the senior center. This Sunday, also from 5 to 8 p.m., uh, is the Savvy Senior Barbecue at the Swim and Tennis Center. I believe the cost is $20. There's going to be music, entertainment, a lot of fun, and a lot of food. And if you're able to attend, please come out there. And I'll leave the rest of the announcements to others. Councilwoman Maurer. I don't have anything new, except I would like to add that if you were not able to attend the first senior workshop on the new Senior Enrichment Center, to please come tomorrow night from 5 to 8, as Mayor Pro Tem Shapiro said. Um, this is for Calabasas residents only, and it'll be a wonderful way to let us know what the community would like to see. And age-wise, anyone 45 years old and older is welcome to attend. So again, that's tomorrow night, 5 to 8 at the Agora Hills Calabasas Community Center. Councilman Bazajian. Uh, just wanted to remind everyone that our summer concert series at Calabasas Lake, which we're sponsoring in conjunction with the Calabasas Park Homeowners Association continues. Next one will be July 14th at 6 p.m. free admission, and then August 11th and September 15th. We had our first movies under the stars last Friday with the Lorax at the Tennis and Swim Center. We have another one on July 12th and one on August 2nd. And August 2nd one is at uh, Danza Park. And then of course, we, in addition to that, there's an old family, old fashioned family camp out at Danza Park. So you can sleep over there. Um, that again is uh, August 2nd. And of course our Calabasas 4th of July spectacular where we have our lakeside fun run, our pet show, our summer splash party, and our fireworks spectacular. And I think we still have tickets, do we not, Tony? For the, because uh, the fireworks spectacular is at Calabasas High School, and it, you do need to purchase tickets in advance. Councilwoman Maurer. I, I did want to add one quick thing. We have a special guest in the audience visiting from La Mirada, California, my nephew, Sammy Maurer. Can you stand up, Sammy? Sammy's 14 years old. 
and and he's my assistant this week. Good job, Sammy. Welcome, Sammy. Okay, and uh, 4th of July is a week from Thursday. There will be traffic restrictions in the Mulwood area, um, so please be aware of that. They're similar to the, what they've been in the previous years. Uh, we do expect a great crowd, a great evening. We've added this year uh, a, we're gonna do a tribute to our veterans uh, during the evening at, um, at the high school. So hopefully uh, our veterans in our community will attend and we're going to have a special recognition uh, for them during our ceremony. We have some incredible surprises this year and of course the normal fireworks and music. It's gonna be a great, great event. But it starts in the morning with the, with the run. Uh, Councilman Bazajian has been working out. I've seen him, He's, uh, he works out on the treadmill though. You know, the, the path around the lake doesn't move like the treadmill I know. does. So, <laughs> so what's, your, what's your time this year gonna be? I'm hoping in the two mile to be 14 minutes. Okay, well we'll but see. But as I get older, it gets harder, Fred. I will be I will be behind him to see if he uh, if he finishes, but um, everyone we're we're looking forward to a great great day. July Fourth is one of our specialties here at Calabasas, and it's going to be a fantastic day. Uh, I think we announced most things. We do have a teen movie day coming up in July, July twenty seventh at one o'clock. That's a Saturday at one, and we're doing Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two. So that'll be in our library. There are a lot of activities going on all summer in our library. Uh, including our summer reading program, and, and we invite you all to attend. Just a final announcement, we do, the City Council will take our summer recess in the month of July. We have no meetings scheduled in July, so our next council meeting after tonight will be the second Wednesday in August. Uh, with that, we complete our announcements and introductions. Oral communications, public comment, unless I missed it, I do not have any, all of the uh, cards I have are for item number eight, uh, which is the um, cell, uh, tower uh, item. Is anyone here to speak in public comment not on that item? Okay, seeing none, we will move on to our consent agenda. Uh, items number one through seven are listed as the consent agenda. Um, are there any, uh, is there a motion on the consent agenda? I'd like to pull number seven. Uh, Councilwoman Martin has requested number seven to be removed from the consent agenda. On items one through six, is there a motion? So moved. Second. Moved and seconded for items one through six of the consent agenda. Is there any discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor say aye. 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 Opposed? By consent, items number one through six have been adopted. And item number seven, uh, Councilman Martin, do you have questions? Would you like a staff report? What would you like? Um, I'd like just a staff report since this is something new that, that we're gonna be funding so that we can just let people know what it is. Um, thank you, I'd be happy to give a brief report. In March of 2007, uh, the city purchased a software program. It's a proprietary software program by a company called EdgeSoft. And what it allows us to do is to maintain the record keeping for all of the permit work that we do in planning, building and safety, code enforcement, and also in our public works department. Um, we completed the purchase of that equipment, of that software program over a five-year period of time. And what's before you today is maintenance of that program. 
Um, that is what this item is. So it's not a new item. We've had it since March of 2005. And what you're looking at is basically a maintenance proposal. So it would be a little bit like um, Microsoft um, when you purchase that and you install it into your computer. Um, it sends you periodic updates as part of your purchasing package. What we are doing is because we concluded our purchasing period, we're now purchasing separately that maintenance and upgrade. And we're also taking a look at actually having the program hosted through the city of Burbank. Mm -hmm. Any further questions or comments from council members? If not, is there a motion with regard to item number seven? So moved. Second. It's moved and seconded. Any further discussion? Seeing none, all those in favor of number seven, please say aye. 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 Opposed? Item number seven is adopted. We are now at item number eight, our public hearing item. Uh, anyone, I have cards on this item, but anyone who has not filled out a card that would like to speak on this item, it's now time to get a card uh, that are in, on the uh, counter in the back, fill it out, and hand it to the city clerk. This is a public hearing for consideration of the following matter. Adoption of resolution 2013-1377, approving a wireless telecommunication facility permit to construct a new Verizon wireless telecommunication facility, which includes the installation of a 55-foot-tall monopine with 12 panel antennas and associated equipment to be located within a new block wall enclosure located at 4515 Park Entrada within the Recreation REC Zoning District. Madam City Clerk, has the proof of posting and publication been filed for this public hearing? Yes, Mr. Mayor, and correspondence was distributed to the Council. Thank you. Uh, this public hearing is now open. Are there any changes or additions to the staff report? No changes to the staff report. Okay. The way we're going to do this, we're going to have the staff give their presentation uh, on, the, on the application. We're going to go through any City Council questions on the staff report. Then we will have our public comment, including from the applicant. Uh, uh, we'll then close the public hearing. Uh, City Council can ask additional questions and, and deliberate, and then we'll take a vote. So that's our order of procedure. So, um, Mr. Klein, if you would start with the staff report, please. Sure, good evening. Um, I also do want to mention up here with me, I have Glenn Mikich, senior planner, and then Jonathan Kramer, who is the city's RF, or actually wireless consultant and expert. Um, the uh, following presentation is for File number 11000009901, which is for a new wireless telecommunication facility at 4515 Park Entrada, which is the Calabasas Golf Course. The reason why we're here tonight is because the facility is located within the rec Recreation Zoning District. And according to our wireless ordinance, open space is a prohibited area. Within the definition of our wireless ordinance, um, recreation zones are considered open space. So therefore, section 17.12.050 D3 of the municipal code stipulates that new wireless facilities may be permitted in a prohibited location only if the applicant obtains a wireless facility permit from the city council following a public hearing and recommendation from the Communications and Technology Commission. So just to go briefly over the project background, the application was actually submitted in May of 2011, a little over two years ago. 
Shortly after the application was submitted, the city adopted a moratorium on the issuance of any wireless project in order to give the city time to draft a new wireless ordinance. The City Council adopted a new wireless ordinance on June 27, 2012, and 30 days later that ordinance went into effect, which effectively terminated the moratorium. The application after July 27th was vetted back through the planning process under, under the new wireless ordinance and was ultimately deemed complete on April 3rd, 2013. Following that completion date, uh, the project was scheduled for a CTC hearing. It was publicly noticed to everyone within 1,500 feet. The notices were sent out at least 30 days in advance. At the CTC hearing, uh, the, the project was presented, um, staff report was reviewed, public comment was taken, and the CTC ultimately passed the motion 4-1, recommending to the City Council to approve the project. This is a location map showing the, the general area of, of where the facility will be located, or would be located. Along here is the city border and the 101 freeway, and here you have Parkway Calabasas. The proposed facility is located at the Calabasas Golf Course, which is actually made up of two parcels. There's one parcel over here on the east side of Park and Shada, and another parcel, which is the larger parcel on the west side of Park and Shada. It's over 100 acres. The facility, the proposed facility itself, would be located adjacent to the existing clubhouse for the golf course. So this is a bird's eye view uh, looking north at the golf course. Here's Park Entrada. There's a gate over here that leads into Vista Point, and this is the main entrance into the golf course. The parking lot, this is the actual clubhouse, and this is the offices and administration for the, for the golf course. The propo proposed facility would be located in this corner. That would be a very high altitude flying bird. Yes. <laughs> now the proposed project includes the installation of a 55 foot tall monopine. The monopine itself will house 12 antennas um, and it will be designed to fully screen the antennas within essentially a fake pine tree. Um, and I'll get into more of the aesthetics a little bit later. The installation also includes ground-mounted equipment, which will be located behind a six-foot-tall screen wall painted and stuccoed to match the building. And the equipment itself on the ground will be fully screened from the public as well. So again, just looking at a site plan, this site plan shows the, the entire extent of the golf course property. But what we're focused on is up here, essentially on the developed portion of the golf course. And this is the existing office building for the golf course. I believe it's a one-story building with vaulted ceilings, so it's a, a good 25, 30 feet tall. The proposed monopine would be located right here, as well as all the ground-mounted equipment. Everything would be enclosed within the six-foot-tall wall that I had mentioned. What I have called out on this plan are heights of adjacent trees. So the proposed monopine is a 55-foot-tall monopine. There's other pine trees close by, 55 feet tall, 56 feet tall. This is not a monopine, but it is 55 feet tall, 66, et cetera. So that was one of the factors in evaluating this project is to 
make sure that the applicant submitted evidence that there were other trees in the area that were consistent with the height of the proposed monopine. This is just a schematic um, elevation of what the monopine would look like. If you can see here, the antennas would be located at the top of the, essentially, a, a monopole. And then the whole monopole would be dressed with fake pine leaves and pine branches. Um, one of the other things that they do, or that has been conditioned for them to do, is to actually put socks on the antennas, which have fake needles, so that it helps blend the, the antennas in the facility, further blend those antennas into the, uh, the pine tree. This is a photo simulation that shows the existing, um, the existing site. This is looking west towards the, uh, towards the golf course administration building. The proposed monopine will be located right about here, and the photo sim shows what that would look like. Again, one of the key factors that the city looked at, including the architecture review panel and the CTC, was just overall compatibility with this design and that area. Another view standing in the parking lot facing south. The proposed monopine would be located right here. And then this view is facing east. And it's probably where you'll have the, the clearest view of the monopine. But of course, this is pretty much as you're walking into the golf course clubhouse, uh, which would be to your right of this screenshot. And again, the, uh, the photo simulations show that the height of the proposed monopine is consistent with the height of other trees in the surrounding area. So the project issues that I want to discuss tonight, they are in the staff report, but I just want to go over it, is site design, service co coverage, and alternative site analysis. In terms of site design, um, the proposed monopine and the equipment will be located adjacent to the existing clubhouse administration offices. Um, which is already a built-out portion of the golf course. It's not, like we're, it's not like the facility would be placed in an essentially open space area where there's nothing around it. There are other developed uh, structures adjacent to the proposed monopine. It is surrounded by other trees as well as evergreen trees to help um, blend the design of the monopine in with the surroundings. Uh, the monopine equipment will not be visible to the public. And as I had mentioned, the architectural review panel did review this project, and they recommended approval of this design. I passed up, uh, there's a colors and materials board that was passed to the council members that shows samples of the, the bark as well as the pine needles. Um, and it's another, it's also important to note, uh, and I don't have it here because it was back on the, the aerial image, because of how far because of this location, the, the clubhouse is set pretty far from the public right-of-way. It's about 700 feet from Park Entrada, or 700 feet from Parkway Calabasas, 400 feet from Park Entrada. So this is an area of the golf course that's really not visible to anyone from the public. The only people that would really be able to see the monopine would be people actually on the golf course. One of the key aspects of reviewing a wireless project, especially one that's in a prohibited area, is the carrier or the applicant has to provide evidence that the project is necessary to close a significant gap and that, that the proposed application is the least intrusive means to close that gap. 
This image right here shows the current coverage for Verizon. They submitted this as part of their application. The green shows areas of good coverage, yellow is areas of marginal, red is poor, and the white areas represent where there's absolutely no coverage. Um, and you can see there's, they have some of their existing facilities here along Calabasas Road at this point and over here, and that's why you have good coverage there, and then they also have facilities along Mulholland Highway, which is why they have coverage here. However, this area of Calabasas, which represents a bulk of Calabasas Park, um, including Calabasas Hills, Calabasas Park Estates, the Oaks, Vista Point, and Westridge, has either very little coverage, like over here in Westridge, or no coverage at all. Uh, tests from staff also showed that when we went out there, phone, Verizon phones were not able to pick up any cell phone coverage. Um, and again, this includes Bay Laurel Elementary School, which is located over here. The reason why I point out all these communities is because in total, we're looking at about 2,000 residential homes that have no coverage from Verizon. So the, the city has, or staff has made the determination along with our expert, Jonathan Kramer, that Verizon has demonstrated that there is a significant gap in their service coverage. And the proposed facility at the golf course would provide coverage not to the entire area, but at least to the area of their current search ring, which was to satisfy um, providing coverage to areas like Calabasas Park Estates, Calabasas Hills, Bay Laurel Elementary School, the golf course, Vista Point, and Westridge. Now, based on topography, there's still areas of the Oaks that will receive marginal increase in their service coverage, but there will still be areas that won't receive any, any new service coverage. Um, and again, that's based on topography. There's a lot of hills out there, and unfortunately, the the uh, the antennas cannot penetrate through that type of through landforms like that. And this image just shows what the service coverage would be just from this one site, so it gives a, a better better picture of what what this is serving and and the uh, the area that it's providing coverage to. The other key aspect to this project and to this application is that because there's such a, a gap in service coverage in this general area, that means that there are two existing facilities for Verizon along Calabasas Road here at Park Granada and over here closer to Miro Road are currently overloaded. So the proposed application would also help free up capacity in those facilities um, and uh, improve network operability overall. So then the next question is whether or not the application is the least intrusive means of closing the significant gap. Verizon submitted an alternative site analysis where they took a, they took a look at six possible locations that could have served their search ring. Um, and I'll get into it, but the way that, that uh, a typical carrier will look at how they can satisfy their, their uh, service needs is to look at areas that are currently zoned to do so. You can't force a carrier to, to, provo to pro propose an application in an area where they're not allowed to go. So there's only a handful of areas in this general uh, vicinity that allow for wireless facilities that include the public facility zone and commercial zones. The first alternative that they looked at was at the water tank within the Oaks off of Cordillera. However, that location was uh, ruled out for a variety of reasons, one of which at the time, um, in order to get to that, you have to go through the Oaks HOA and 
when Verizon first approached the Oaks, they said they were not interested in providing access. Um, but subsequently to that point in time, the water district has also expressed that they are, are not willing to allow any new facility at their water tanks. Um, furthermore, while this facility would help, or while a facility here would help with some of their, their service gap, it still wouldn't fully satisfy and close their entire service area, especially over here on the east side of where their gap is, which would be Westridge and Vista Point. The other alternative they looked at was, again, the water tank over at Park Belmonte, but they ran into the same problems with that HOA, and it's even further outside of their search ring, so that would provide less of a, it would provide less coverage to the area that they need to close. The sure, third what HOA is that? In order to get to there, I believe it was the Calabasas Park HOA. The Ridge. The Ridge. The Ridge, so not. Could have, it could. Because could be CPHA would cover the other one, too. So there had to be another one you're referring to. I'm just. No, it's the ridge. Is it the ridge? Okay. They own the access. You got you 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 enter it by going up Calabasas yeah. Park all the way to the top. But yeah, you at, at, easement. at the end of Park Park Belmonte, you have to cross through several private properties. One of which is the HOA. Um, but they the same issue is with that one as with the other one is that the water district has indicated that they're not willing to um, sign off on any indemnity agreement which the city requires for issuance of a permit. Um, therefore, they wouldn't approve a new facility here. Another alternative, which would actually serve Verizon's needs quite well in terms of providing coverage within their search ring and at a good height, would be Bay Laurel. However, Verizon is sensitive to the fact that the city doesn't want facilities near a school, so they ruled that area out. Another option is along Parkway Calabasas um, within the public right-of-way, which is a viable option. However, in order to achieve the similar coverage objectives that they're getting from one site here at the golf course, which has 12 panel antennas, they would have to have, again, 12 antennas at a similar height at one location along Parkway Calabasas or multiple locations along Parkway Calabasas with with less antennas. So overall, what you end up with is a, a greater impact on the neighborhood in terms of visual impact, because it's more difficult to screen a wireless facility in the right of way. And you also end up with the facility closer to, in this case, the school, and if they're along this area of Parkway Calabasas, closer to homes. Then the only other, not the only other, but the other alternatives that they looked at were two, two commercial areas on the east side of their search ring. Um, this is the Bank of America office building, and here's the Hilton. Unfortunately, both of those, based on topography, are too low for Verizon to um, put up an antenna and achieve, again, the same kind of coverage that they would get from their proposed facility. And this is just looking at, at this map. This is like I had mentioned, when a, when a carrier looks for where they can put a facility, they have to start with where they're allowed to go. And this map in gray represents all the areas that are essentially off limits. And then you have some public facility zones. Here's the school. Here's another water tank within Calabasas Park Estates, Park Belmonte, and the Cordillera water tank. And then you have commercial areas up here along Parkway Calabasas, or along um, Parconada, Bank of America, and then Hilton is over here. 
You can see from this map that there's very little, if almost no, options for a wireless carrier to, to site their facility other than along the public right-of-way. Um, and yes, although the recreation zone is grayed out in here, it did represent a viable location. It was far away, relatively far away from homes, far from the school, um, and not in a residential zone or an actual open space zone. So this, this matrix just kind of takes a look at the subject site along with the six alternatives and then goes through essentially the goals that the city's trying to, to reach or and also merging those goals with the with the applicant or with the with the carrier which is trying to, which is their attempt to provide RF coverage to an area that doesn't have it. Um, the subject site meets some of these criteria meets all of these criteria including not being visible to the public. It can be fully screened because it's on private property which allows for more creative design. They have property owner cooperation. It's about 1,500 feet from, the, from Bay Laurel, so from the nearest school, and it's 240 feet from the nearest house. If you look at some of the other alternatives, some of them are a little bit further from the school, yet they end up actually at a location closer to a home, um, like the Cordillera water tank, for example, is only 80 feet from the nearest house. So based on their, their alternative site analysis, based on staff's understanding of that area, um, we do believe that this is the least intrusive means of closing Verizon's gap. We went over this with the, with the CTC. Um, although they are placing essentially a, a new structure within a public facility or recreation zone, all the other preferred locations for the city within our ordinance have been ruled out because they are simply just not viable. Um, additional code requirements. The uh, applicant did submit an FCC compliance report. That report was reviewed by Jonathan Kramer and determined to be accurate. They will meet all FCC standards. They did submit a noise study and their noise study showed that the facility will have no audible impact on residential zones. They do meet the findings required for a wireless facility permit as well as, as a conditional use permit. And the standard condition of approvals, conditions of approval that are specified in our wireless ordinance have been included in the resolution. The CTC, um, like I had mentioned, they did review this project on May 21st. They recommended to the City Council approval of the project. They, they passed that with a 4-1 motion. They did make a change to, two changes to the condition of approval. Um, one had to do with uh, a word, some wordsmithing, but the other was uh, a condition that, as a recommendation from our architectural review panel, the monopine shall not be more than 10 feet taller than any adjacent tree. The issue is generally moot because the topographic survey shows that the trees are going to be taller than the proposed monopine. But the ARP was concerned that by the off chance that there was an error with the topographic survey that this would protect the city that if they put a, this 55-foot monopine up there and all of a sudden it really turned out to be 20 feet taller than the, the adjacent trees because the survey was wrong, then we can rectify the situation. The CTC wanted to uh, wanted to change that to five feet to just provide 
a little bit more protection to the city. But um, like I mentioned, it the issue would be gen would be mute would be moot because the trees are taller than 55 feet based on that survey and and based on site visits, you can clearly tell that they are very tall trees out there. So staff's recommendation is that the council adopt resolution number 2013-1377, approving file number 11000901. I'm available for questions. Okay, this would be the uh, time for city council questions regarding the staff report. Uh, any council members have questions? I'll save mine. Councilor Mauer. Um, can other providers put antennas on this monopole? Council member, the monopole will support additional antennas, so it is a candidate for co-location. Is that somewhere in this agreement that this is to be allowed? Okay. Um, the answer was yes. <laughs> And what do we have? I don't recall that we have any criteria in, in looking at alternative sites. Our criteria comes from, from our code, and it also comes from guidance from, from the Ninth Circuit as to how we go about the general plan. Most importantly, we look first, as Michael has clearly indicated in the report, for potential permittable locations within the city. Uh, he had a portion of what we've fondly called over the years the black dog map up on and shows how very few spots there are in that immediate area where sites can go. We look at that and then evaluate that against the search ring and the coverage area to be afforded. And it really comes down to the fact that there isn't specific objective criteria that can provide guidance in all cases because this is an engineering evaluation. As part of my evaluation, I did evaluate this site in comparison to the other potential sites that were identified and I absolutely believe that this is both the least intrusive and the best site to close or, or actually in this case to reduce the gap to the greatest degree possible. Okay, thank you. I have comments that I'll wait to make. Okay, any questions on the staff report? Councilwoman Martin. Um, you had said, um, one, thank you very much for the report and getting information to me that I needed. Um, but I was uh, disappointed in that this is the first um, cell tower that, uh, that came before us and the CTC didn't have um, the noise impact analysis. They weren't given that. Um, and they weren't given written denial of the alternative locations um, that was required in our code. Um, so ne for next time, I think that in order for them to make a full decision, they need to have every piece of the puzzle. Um, so my question is going to be on the noise. Um, we did have issues, uh, or people came and spoke at the CTC meeting about um, the noise. And I saw that the evaluation that you had um, that the calculation that they used was for a seven foot four inch uh, enclosure when in fact the enclosure is going to be six feet. I can, well, I can explain why that 
there's that discrepancy. The original application was submitted with a seven foot, four inch tall wall. However, our code only allows for six foot tall walls. So rather than going through a variance process, they had to scale back the wall to six feet. It still completely covers the equipment though. So there will be no exposed equipment. And the main thing is that you have a block wall in front of fully screening the equipment, which will help with sound attenuation. The noise shunts up instead of outwards. Okay, but it, it will um, increase the noise um, by about, I think, two point something decimals. Because um, I did speak to the woman that, that did the uh, noise report just to, to see if, you know, is there going to be a difference when you come from 7.4 down to 6. Um, and she said that there would be, but it would still fall under the range that, um, that we allow. Now, I noticed um, in the report that the heat exchanger that they're going to be using, um, that it measures much higher. And the company had said that, um, that there'd have to be a lot of adjustments made to make the unit quieter or to improve the performance of what is needed for this type of equipment. Is there, do we know what the answer to this actually is? Because it says here 65 DBAs. I guess I'm not and quite we're saying sure. 30. I'm not quite sure what the, the specific question is. The question is the heat exchanger that Verizon says they're going to be using, the company says that the DBA is 65.0 noise-wise unless there are major adjustments made to make the machine quieter. Are we making those adjustments? Do you know? What? Ultimately, they will be required to, to comply with our ordinance. Um, whether or not those adjustments need to be made immediately or down the road, we could you know, see how it, how it plays out. But we are talking about a distance of 240 feet from this facility to the closest residential zone. 65 decibels will not travel that far, um, especially being blocked by a six-foot-tall block wall. Okay, but we're asking them to they're claiming that it's going to be 30.5? Well, the, no yeah, the noise study itself was, was done with that in mind. So they have to comply with the noise study no matter what. So if the adjustments do need to be made, they're going to be made. Absolutely. Okay. That was, those are my questions. Okay. Mayor Pro Tem Shapiro. Uh, no, thank you. My question was already asked by uh, Councilmember Maurer. I have no questions at this time, so we'll move to our public hearing. This is the last opportunity for anyone who would like to turn in a card to speak on this item. The cards are on the, uh, on the uh, shelf in the back, and uh, you can fill that out and give it to the city clerk at this time. I do have several cards. This is a uh, decision-making hearing by the council, so I'm going to allow the applicant to go first. I'm going to allow the applicant five minutes, uh, and I'm going to allow the applicant uh, two minutes at, at, after the other public testimony to answer any questions or make 
uh, any rebuttal or final comments. So we'll start with the applicant, Ryan Young of Verizon Wireless. Good evening. Five minutes, please, Madam Clerk. Good evening, Mayor Gaines and members of the council. Uh, my name is Ryan Young. I'm with Delta Groups Engineering, uh, representing Verizon Wireless. Uh, I'm joined this evening also by Elias Emran. He is the Verizon Wireless RF engineer. And um, we're here tonight on, on behalf of Verizon, uh, respectfully uh, requesting uh, council's approval uh, for the project at the Calabasas Country Club, um, which also received uh, the CTC's um, approval on May 21st, uh, or recommendation for approval during their hearing. As you're aware, uh, Verizon is uh, seeking approval uh, for this proposed site um, to address a significant gap in their service coverage to this particular area. Um, and I just want to thank staff for the thorough um, report. I don't think I need to repeat anything there. Um, I think you did a very good job um, explaining what our coverage needs are in the area. Um, Verizon has been working very closely with staff uh, for, the, for the past couple of years on this project. Uh, we have worked uh, very diligently, not um, only selecting what we felt was the best location for uh, Verizon's RF uh, coverage objectives, uh, but we also worked very hard at um, selecting uh, what we feel is the least intrusive design uh, to accomplish this. Um, in addition, uh, I just want to mention that uh, after um, the application was deemed complete, uh, I was contacted by the the uh, Vista Point HOA. I met with them um, uh, before the CTC hearing and addressed some of their questions and provided additional information to them um, last month. Um, and uh, on top of that, um, at the hearing, um, you may be aware uh, there were a, a number of uh, residents that, that spoke uh, in support of the project. A uh, number of residents, parents, uh, at least six members of the community. Um, other than that, I just want to thank uh, you for your time in, in hearing our request this evening. Um, we've reviewed uh, the staff report and uh, staff's uh, recommended conditions of approval and uh, are in agreement and accept their uh, uh, conditions as is. And uh, I can answer any questions. So. Any council members have any questions to the applicant? Yes. I, I have one. You saw the renderings of where the monopole would stand from various perspectives, the, mm -hmm. the photo enhancements. Do you stand by those photos? It will look like that? Yes. Any other questions from the council for the applicant? Yes. Um, the coverage, if you were just doing cell phone coverage, could you do the smaller equipment along Partway Calabasas the other carriers seem to be able to cover without such yeah. big, huge equipment. Yeah, and I think a lot of those um, carriers are probably just getting some coverage along the streets here. Um, our objective is a lot more than just uh, coverage along some of those arterials. Uh, one of the main objectives is not just uh, covering the, the uh, f you know, f uh, for the, the streets and roads. Uh, one of the other main objectives is to uh, provide in-building in coverage. Uh, and, and, and providing that to the residences in the area. That's a big reason why we needed to be close to the residential areas. Um, that alternative that we had that was uh, 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 to the south, um, to be able to get the, uh, to meet the objective that RF wants to um, accomplish there, 
um, we would have to have uh, multiple, utilize multiple uh, right-of-way facilities, and then it would have to be a lot taller also um, to be able to accomplish that, which we felt was going to be a much more adverse uh, visual impact if, that, if they were to go that direction. In addition, um, there's also the, uh, the issue of the equipment also, because uh, um, for Verizon's equipment, um, you know, we have, I think, five, I think it's five cabinets that's going to go in our lease area. And that would also be a big challenge. But the main issue was that the uh, overall height for those smaller uh, utility facilities would have to be significantly taller. And can, can you um, explain why Verizon's website shows that they have coverage in the area? And if you call, yeah. which I did, to say yeah. that I'm and, thinking and I, of switching, and they said, oh, yeah, you're covered. Yes, and, and, and I've seen these are the maps that um, sometimes you can get from the marketing groups at the Verizon store. And uh, the bottom line for that is uh, those maps, um, you'll, you'll see the fine reading state that it's a gross approximation of what kind of coverage is there. Um, there, there can be uh, topography. There can be buildings. Uh, even, I think, in case, uh, um, you know, even they've mentioned even weather, these things uh, can always have an impact, and so you're not always going to get the, uh, co the the same coverage that may be shown. It's a gross approximation. That's that's what the bottom line is for that. Okay, thank you. I think the most important thing is to rely on what the uh, RF uh, propagation maps and what the RF engineers provide, the data that they provide, showing that obviously there's no coverage thank in that area. Much. Okay. Any other questions for the applicant? No. Okay, thank you very much. We'll move on to our public comments. Uh, Michael Brockman, who is a member of the CTC Commission, and I believe the Wireless Committee, uh, has put in a card and saying that he's here if there's any questions regarding the Commission action, but there's no need to speak. Uh, Stephanie Williams. Could, was that, if we had a question, can we ask it of Michael now, or did you want to do it later? Um, do you have a question for Michael I, now? I did have a okay. quick question. Commissioner Brockman, will you come to the microphone, please? Councilman Bazajan has a question for you. I, I wanted to ask you if you could, and I know you weren't the person who voted no on it, but I just wondered if you could summarize that commissioner's concerns, because she's not here tonight. Um, the commissioner stated that her reasons for uh, voting against it was, that I believe, uh, that the alternate sites that were submitted didn't seem fully adequate to her to achieve the uh, requirements of the ordinance itself. And that was the basis of what I believe was the cause for her to vote no. It was a four to one vote at the commission. The no vote was vice chair Stock. Wait, was there anything else cited during the discussion by her? I mean, I hate to put you on I the mean, spot, but if you remember. She was a participant in all of the various discussions that we had relative to the various issues that have been uh, addressed already tonight. But can I remember the specifics? Well, no, but that was the reason she okay. gave for the negative vote. Thank you. Um, I would just like to add one thing that you might want to probe, because for clarity's sake. Um, the issue of the height of the poles versus the growing trees and to what extent that any kind of a problem would occur, and if the trees are going to be needed to be cut, because there was a reference to that in our discussion that I thought might be helpful. The pole's not going to grow? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
Okay, maybe when that comes back to staff, you can address that when we, uh, when we conclude the public comments. Stephanie Williams. And uh, not Michael's cell phone, three, sorry. Mi three minutes for each speaker. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor, members of the council and staff. Um, I'm Stephanie Williams. I've been a resident of Calabasas since 1997. I'm also the Bay Laurel PFA president. I sit on the boards of CPHA and now this year the um, AC Style PFC. Uh, and I'm also a business owner here in Calabasas. So I come to you from a lot of different positions. Um, thanking you, first of all, for all the things that are being done on Parkway to make it safer for our kids to get to school. I am indeed happy every time I get stopped at that construction. You're doing a lot for the safety of our community there, and I want to urge you to do more today. Because what you have before you here really can affect the safety of people like me living in CPE, people like my highly allergic child who's on your speaker list, so I'll let him speak for himself, and um, our parents at Bay Laurel. We have to be smart here. We have to use common sense and not fear science. We have to look and make our best choice based on what's before us. I also attended the commission meeting um, where there were some good questions on both sides and lots of people in favor who are now out of town from Bay Laurel because it's summer. Um, but I know you've heard from a lot of parents via email who are away and I know um, that I've been told by a lot of my Bay Laurel families that we have a huge gap in coverage. And no matter what carry you have, in my house we have Verizon and AT&T um, in an attempt to try and get some coverage. And we cannot call 911 most of the time from Bay Laurel. Our phones generally say SOS. And I know one thing that um, the vice chair of the commission also mentioned was an understanding that perhaps it was just Verizon who didn't provide coverage in this area, but folks could go out and get other carriers so there might not be as big a safety issue. And we have two carriers in my family. It's a big safety issue. I hear from parents all the time. We, you know, a lot happened this past year in schools. Parents are very cognizant of safety issues right now, and they want to be sure that whatever happens, we will be able to reach emergency services. I know that landlines used to be the answer, and you would say in an emergency, your cells aren't going to work anyway. It's really the opposite as technology has moved forward. And particularly in my house where my landline is very spotty and is out frequently because of the slope issues, the cell phone is what we've got and ours don't work. Um, I live in a very scientific family. My husband's an electrical engineer, my brother-in-law is an electrical engineer. They work on opposite sides of this issue and they both tell me all the time that my cell phone constantly searching for a signal is significantly more dangerous than this tower would be. This is accepted science. It's established that it's okay for us. And um, we have such a large gap in coverage. We've got to move forward for the safety of our kids and our families. And then finally, for our business owners. We do have, thank you so much. Thank you. I have a card from Jeremy and Nathan White. Is this gonna be a team presentation? Who is, is this Jeremy or Nathan? Jeremy. Jeremy, all right, Jeremy, you have three minutes. Dear Mayor and members of the council, I am Jeremy White. I'm 10 years old and currently attending Bay Law. I am my mom's highly allergic child. It's very important to be able to call 911 from school, which we currently cannot do off cell phones. Thank you. 
Thank you very much. Judy Sherman. Did you, was there another? No, just uh, Jeremy was speaking on behalf of Nathan, is oh. my understanding. And he was very maturely brief and to the point. Uh, hello, honorable city council members, Mayor Gaines. Uh, City Manager Corrales, I'm Judy Sherman, a resident of Calabasas, and I've come for you, before you tonight. Um, first, to commend the CTC for supporting added cell, adding cell towers for Calabasas Park. Let's go round. We will remedy the lack of service at Bay Laurel School, where security and safety demands that we demand that we have more extensive cell service. I think everyone admits we need better coverage in Calabasas Park. And what we are debating are the cell towers that need to be installed to give us that coverage. We can debate all night long about their safety. The evidence has not conclusively shown that there is a danger and the undesirability of having one's home near a cell tower vis-a-vis -vis property values. The bottom line is this. This is 2013 and Calabasas as a forward-looking city needs to provide its residents with a choice of carriers. In the case of an emergency, this is paramount, and I'm a case in point. I urge the City Council to accept the recommendations of the CTC and permit the installation of the proposed, proposed Verizon Tower, as well as the installation of other well-thought-out towers in the near future and move forward so the residents of Calabasas Park, such as those residing in the Oaks, have a choice in accessing 2013 cell phone technology and are not beholden to one carrier operating without competition. Thank you very much. Thank you, Judy. Next, I have Brian Cameron. Good evening, Mr. Mayor, council members. My name is Brian Cameron. Uh, I've been a resident of Calabasas for a long time. I've uh, been the president of the Oaks of Calabasas for the last five and a half years. And we've been wanting additional cell phone coverage for a long time. Uh, we live in a bit of a bowl, as you're familiar with the topography. Uh, the proposal before you this evening is a step in the right direction. It's not going to solve our, all of our problems, but it is moving in the right direction. Uh, what I wanted to clarify this evening has to do with the February 24th, 2011 email that was sent uh, in response to a request to uh, trench uh, Ciervos. And our response at that point in time was because we were in the middle of litigation with the Ciervos residents, it was improper we didn't feel it was right to allow trenching of the road uh, at that time. We actually offered a counter um, approach of digging a, a tunnel underneath Ciervos, uh, but apparently that was turned down. So the email that you see in the package of the Oaks denying access is, I think, a little bit misleading. Uh, I think we would have allowed access if it could have been uh, tunneled. And, uh, and now that the Cerebus lawsuit is behind us, we're open to uh, other alternatives. But we, as Judy has pointed out, uh, 
cell phone coverage within the Oaks is woeful, and uh, and Spotty doesn't even say it. So, but this this moves in the right direction. Thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. Next, I have Bob Bakva, or Bakva. I apologize if I said it wrong. Welcome, Bob. Thank you, Mayor Gaines, Council Members, Mr. Corrales. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm a resident of Vista Point, and I'm a board of directors of Vista Point uh, Homeowner Association. I'm here as a, uh, we are not taking any position on the construction of the tower. However, uh, after our due diligence and meeting with Mr. Young and Mr. Kleiman, there are a couple of things that you have already covered tonight, and we just want to make sure those are addressed in the construction. One is that you already mentioned is putting a net on the uh, towers to make sure on the uh, cell side to make sure it's camouflaged as much as possible. The other thing that was already uh, addressed by uh, Council Member Maurer is the trees. That that is a big concern to us to make sure that. Uh, that uh, um, those towers are properly camouflaged. Finally, it's the noise. This tower is large. It's a uh, good candidate for co-location. Our concern would be what happens if you start adding more uh, towers, more cells to the same site. What will it do to the uh, additional noise? That would be a concern to us that we would like you to uh, uh, take note of and make sure that that will be addressed in the future. And since the uh, cell site doesn't grow, the tower doesn't grow, maybe we can put additional tree, because I understand one of the trees uh, that will be cut to erect the tower uh, is a large one, and we're not going to be replacing it. And uh, we would love to see some sort of additional trees around the uh, cell site to help us out. So those are two comments that I wanted to make, noise and uh, camouflaging the tower. Thank you very much for your time. Madam City Clerk, maybe you can take the clicker off the counter. Everyone's sort of fumbling around with it there, and I don't think that they need it. Next is Sammy Maurer. Comes as a guest from La Mirada, and now he has questions. Hi. I just have a quick question about the gray map about that circle, that blue area, is that the only thing that's being helped with that satellite tower? That one. That, in that red circle, is that the blue thing? Is that the only thing being supported by the, the satellite tower? Is, like, is that the only thing that's going to be helped? That's my question. What no? What this map is showing is areas that, under our current zoning, a facility is not outright allowed, um, or I don't want to say outright, but not allowed. And the gray represents that. The blue areas represent zonings, zoning areas or lands that can support a new facility, um, where you could build one, um, where you don't need an exception. Yeah, where you don't need an exception to come to the the city council. Thank you for clarifying that. Welcome. Thank you. Next is Amy Kubizarati. Did I say that right? Kubisati. I apologize, but welcome, Amy. Thank you. And you have three minutes. Um, yes. Last time I was here at the technology, science and technology meeting with my mother, who was unable to make it tonight. 
Um, and unfortunately, I see that some other members of the public who were um, speaking about their opposition to the project are not here tonight. And one lady in particular um, had a lot of research uh, evidence kind of articles to back up her um, concern that uh, this is a dangerous project in terms of public health. Um, and also the fact that it is near a school does pose a risk to um, the children's health, although the parents who are um, here tonight seem not to have a um, problem or concern about their children's health in that regard. But um, we really do believe that there is not enough research um, about the effects of these kind of uh, radio waves. My mother has owned property in Calabasas Hills for um, about 20 years, and being so close to such a project, it really does uh, very much upset us, and we're quite discouraged that the city of Calabasas seems to so show um, such kind of unwavering support of these kind of projects, and doesn't seem to um, consider people's opposition to them. In terms of the aesthetics, we really don't like having such a large kind of artificial pine tree in the area. And we are really barraged on a daily basis with many radio waves coming from a lot of cell towers. We really don't feel like we need another project like that exposing us to, to waves in a nearby uh, residential area. Um, and you know, we're, we're just very, uh, we're thinking that there really were other alternatives. Um, my mother has AT&T, um, it has 4G coverage, it's very good coverage. I have T-Mobile, it's quite good. Why not um, use the facilities that T-Mobile and AT&T have to collocate uh, what Verizon needs or why not put it on Mulholland? Um, there, we don't think there's been a lot of other alternatives suggested, maybe some kind of better technology if you put it higher up on Mulholland. If you put it in another area, maybe it would reach that same area. Um, and you know, the, the basic answer is, if you're not satisfied with Verizon's coverage, get another carrier that worked quite fine in the area. And maybe the parents of uh, Bay Laurel, who are represented here tonight, Maybe they don't actually live in that immediate vicinity that is affected by the cell, proposed cell tower. So we're, we're just upset that there seems to be such unwavering support and not considering residents in the area opposed to it. Thank you. Thank you very much. The last card I have is Alicia Weintraub. Welcome, Alicia. Good evening, Mayor and members of the City Council. I'm here tonight both as a concerned citizen and as a board member and parent at Bay Laurel Elementary School. As a parent, your first concern is for the safety of your child, and just to make it clear, also for the health of your child, which I also am very concerned about. But going back to safety, in today's day and age, caring for the safety of your child has taken on a whole new meaning. And as a parent at Bay Laurel Elementary School and as a Verizon customer, it is a dead zone. You cannot call in or out at Bay Laurel Elementary School. We as parents, I'm speaking for a large majority of them that could not be here tonight who I know have sent emails, we are very concerned that if in the event of an emergency, we would not be able to be notified of an emergency or to call out to get emergency 
to get emergency help. This lack of coverage should not be taking place in Calabasas in the year 2013. It is not, it is not realistic to ask all residents in our community to have one cell phone provider. I've also spoken to many parents in the community, not even just parents, who also have AT&T, who say they don't even receive great coverage. So switching to another provider wouldn't even solve the problem in this area. On behalf of the parents, we really hope that this application gets approved because you can't imagine the feeling of knowing that when you are at the school driving up and down Parkway Calabasas that you, you're, it's just no service. I mean, it's something that you just can't imagine. You drive elsewhere in the community, you get fine coverage, but in here, it's just a dead zone. You have no idea what's going on. Parents, when they get to the school, have to check in at the office and say, if anyone needs me for an emergency, they're going to call you. I mean, it's back to like, I mean, it just should not happen in the year 2013. So in addition to increasing coverage for our community, it's really a safety issue for the parents and children at our school. So thank you for your consideration tonight. Thank you very much. Uh, that concludes the public testimony. I did, uh, Mr. Young, I will allow you, if you wish, up to two minutes to answer any questions or provide any rebuttal. Thank you. Um, yeah, I just want to real quickly uh, address a couple of items that were brought up uh, from the uh, uh, testimony uh, in opposition. Um, regarding health concerns, you know, the, the federal government uh, requires that these wireless facilities comply with uh, RF exposure guidelines, and they're designed to protect, protect the health um, with a very large uh, health safety margin, not just for the public, but, but also for uh, operational personnel. And they, the FCC considers um, wireless facilities categorically exempt, uh, regardless of power, as long as they're not mounted on a building, um, and the lowest point of the antenna is at least 10 meters. Um, so basically, if the bottom of your antennas uh, at your proposed structure are located above 10 meters, which is approximately 33 feet, um, the FCC has determined that it's so safe that they are categorically excluded from the requirements of routine testing. Uh, the bottom of the antennas at this proposed site are 46 feet, so that's a large safety margin there. Uh, regarding uh, the concerns of aesthetics, uh, again, we strongly feel that um, the proposed site uh, will be effectively unnoticeable. Um, there's, and in addition, we felt it was an ideal location because there's several trees that are going to help screen this. Um, and, and just want to bring out to you guys that monopines have come a long way. They look a lot better now. They're not going to get a Charlie Brown tree like some of the other ones you've seen in the past. And um, demand for service, uh, it is customer driven. Um, and the Verizon Wireless customers uh, want improved service. And that's why we're here. And I think uh, that addressed uh, the, I think the, the items that she brought up. So. Thank you very much. I have a question for him. Yes. Um, Mr. Young. Uh, Councilmember Martin has a question for you. Um, you. You had yes. stated that you had um, sent an email to Vista Points HOA stating that you would put extra trees. Yeah, I double checked with Verizon, and, and if um, that's something that the uh, council would like, uh, we could work with the uh, property owner, the country club, um, putting a few trees in there. And to clarify, there's only going to be one pine tree removed in order for this to be. Um, it's, I think it's on. I think there's. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Correct. It was on the drawing. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. 
All right, that'll conclude the uh, uh, public hearing. And uh, uh, at this time, we are back to uh, the council. Does the staff have any additional uh, comments or report? One thing that I do want to um, follow up on is uh, a comment regarding the noise and adding a co-located or adding future sites or future attendance to this facility. Um, any application that comes forward to, to modify or to co-locate will have to be vetted back through this process, so we will definitely look at the noise issue again. Okay. Would, but do you know, would it, I mean, this is a huge facility, and if co-location really is not an option because of noise, maybe the, isn't that your RF expert? That gentleman? Well, that's not noise. <laughs> no, but wouldn't he know? He spoke about noise at the CTC. Noise, uh, I'm not the noise expert, though. Sorry about that. Oh, okay. Jonathan, the, in the, antennas, the antennas do not emit noise. The, the noise comes from the equipment at the ground, which will be within the block wall. But if you, if you co-located, would you have to add more equipment from the carrier that's co-located? If, if another application comes forward where they want to co-locate at this site, they would have to add new antennas or additional antennas and additional ground-mounted equipment. At that point in time, we would reanalyze the noise issue with everything involved. Okay. And they would be required to mitigate to the yes. level that's required, whether it requires undergrounding or other types of sound attenuation, or, or, it, wouldn't uh, be approved. or it wouldn't be approved because it wouldn't, it wouldn't be meet the requirements. But that's, that's not before us, but that is Correct. what would happen uh, if someone came in and proposed additional equipment. It would have to be analyzed to the same standard. The standard doesn't grow because of the co-location. It stays at the same decibel level at property line. Is that not correct? Right, and that's another important uh, point of clarification. The, the standard is that at the property line of a residential zone, it has to be zero. But you can be at the equipment and have noise, or near the equipment, as long as when you're, in this case, about 240 feet away, there's zero noise from this facility. Okay. Zero additional over the ambient noise. Yeah. Right. Okay. Any further questions for staff at this point? I have a few. Councilman Bazajan. Um, can we make, I, I had this in my notes before it even came up, can we, can we make screening a, a requirement? Because as I understand it, you're removing the main foliage around there, which is one, the, the one large tree. So as long as the applicant doesn't seem to mind, can we just put that in as a requirement, just to, to put trees around it of a comparable height? Because see, well, here's what I don't want to have happen is us to say, yeah, you know, everyone's okay and we'll, we'll, we'll do it. And then it's not a requirement, so then it just gets built and there's never any trees around it. Number one, we, we do have to have a, an overall nexus to do so. Um, when you look at their site plan, this is the tree that would be, that's being proposed to be removed. They still have another one, two, three, four, five, six other trees right here that are at or will, or close to or will exceed the height of well, the monopine. They should at least replace that one tree that's caught, that would have screened it, part of it. 
And I, I mean, from, from personal visits to the site and, and understanding of this location, that one tree will not take away too much when it's gone. Okay, well, but ex I understand that, except that instead of the tree, you're now putting in this fake Monopine. tree. So I, I think it's reasonable to ask them to put in a tree. I mean, the HOA has been, I think, very cooperative and, ver and not, it hasn't taken a formal position, but has not been adamantly opposed to it. They came here tonight and asked for, like, one thing. And so I think it's really reasonable to put in some screenage. Didn't you, other, did, didn't you agree to put some more yeah, trees? Now, now more granted, trees. you can't put a 50-foot tree in there because you, well, you can't transplant that I want to make sure it gets done and it's not just discussed here as a possibility and then once the, the, once the monopine's in, it just gets dropped because it's not part of a requirement. If they're taking out a tree that would ordinarily screen part of the area, I don't think it's unreasonable to ask them to put in a tree. All right, so can planning staff think about what the appropriate language would be if when this motion is made there's a amendment to uh, add a condition to plant an appropriate tree, you know, whatever your normal language is, 36-inch botch or whatever it is, uh, within so many feet of the location? Because it looks like there's going to be a, an amendment proposed to uh, replace the one tree that's being removed with, a, with another tree in the, okay. in the vicinity. Anything? Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off, James. I no, just, no, you didn't cut me off. I, I have two other comments. First, uh, secondly, you know, uh, the, the speaker who was opposed and made some thoughtful comments uh, representing her position, I, I, I would, I've not, don't recall her participating before, so I, I should say that the council spent like two or three years on this thing. We had over 30 public hearings. And we have one of the most restrictive ordinances allowed under law. So I, I, I do take a little bit of exception when it's characterized as us encouraging or welcoming as many as we could put up, which is not the case. Also, I would remind the public that we are preempted to some extent in federal law still regarding health issues. We had a moratorium. Well, we cannot. We right. I'm moratorium. just saying, you know, in terms of but as far as everything in sight, we had a moratorium. We approved nothing. Health we cannot consider health issues per se in approving or denying uh, any kind of wireless facility. It's just not permitted under federal law, even if we wish to do so. Um, Councilman Mazzaj, since you brought that up, uh, and again, and I know I, the law is changing. But, but, but I yeah. was going to ask, actually, Mr. Kramer to just briefly outline what the restrictions are on our ability to act based on the RF. Well, aren't I restating the federal law eloquently enough for you? <laughs> Incredibly eloquent, okay. way more eloquent than, than Mr. Kramer. However, Mr. Kramer would be probably <laughs> be more technically accurate. I, I understand that. I'm using a lot of vernacular terms, so go ahead. Mr. Mayor, Council Members, Jonathan Kramer. The FCC was delegated by Congress in 1996 to create national standards for the emissions of all of the transmitters, not just cell towers. The commission did that. Um, a couple of years later, the commission released a, a guide to local governments on that subject to provide guidance. Uh, currently, the commission has a currently open docket on reevaluating its wireless standards, and it's proposed some, some changes to the rules that as for a project like this are really not 
going to have any impact. The rules basically say that where a project proposed to us demonstrates planned compliance with the FCC rules, that's the end of our exploration of the issue. I looked at this project from all of its emissions. Uh, Verizon operates on four bands of service. The, uh, the project, as the applicant indicated, is categorically excluded under the FCC rules. It would be also excluded under the going forward rules being proposed by the Commission now. So I've certified that the project uh, is designed to meet the FCC rules as they currently exist. And the Commission has said that to the extent that those rules change in the future, the applicants that come before local bodies now will still have to meet those newer standards at the federal level. Finally, as it happens, I'll be in D.C. on Monday at the Commission because the guide that I co-authored and wrote the, the national guidance 13 years ago, the Commission has said in conjunction with the development of the new rules that are being proposed now, they've asked me to update that guidance to expand it to provide additional information. So it's a subject that is moving forward, but nothing that is happening at the Commission uh, is remotely likely to impact this project's compliance with the current rules, which is how we have to evaluate it now. Okay. I have one final area of concern, um, and it's kind of what the dissenting commissioner had, had focused on, too. What which came first in time? Did the, did the applicant go out and pick a site and then look at the alternate sites, or was the entire property looked at and the least intrusive site selected? Yeah, I, I, can I know only, that's confusing. I, I can only provide you with information on the application that was submitted. When the application was submitted, I believe that they submitted this particular application, and then after the ordinance was passed, which required the alternative site analysis, then they came and gave us an alternative site analysis. How the carrier goes about doing their alternative analysis, I'm, I'm not sure of, and you know how they ultimately arrive at their particular location. Um, but I can just tell you what was submitted to us. So they came to us with this application. Then after our ordinance, they provided the alternative only because now our ordinance requires that alternative site analysis. Well, is it staff's opinion that there is no other reasonable site on that, uh, at that location that would either be farther away from the residences or would be, and I, I remember the chart screen, and or would be um, more screened or any other I know you listed a whole bunch, but I, those are only ones that they provided. When, when the application was submitted, uh, we, which was for the monopine here, we did have the applicant look at other locations on the golf course that could serve the, the, the carrier and also maybe be a little bit further from, from residents. Their actually preferred location was somewhere over here because that provides them with the best height. Uh, well, that's right next height. to the residence. And that's right next to the residence. So that was ruled out, um, and they looked at some other areas, but they had to also coordinate this with the property owner. So the golf course doesn't necessarily just want a monopine in the middle of their fairway, for example, or in another area that would interfere with their normal use of the site. So um, we did ask the applicant to look at other areas on the golf course. They did investigate it, um, but ultimately we, we also do agree that this is a very reasonable location. Okay. So, Mr. Mayor, with my, my 
final, I guess, on that is I, as long as no one's really objecting to it, I want to formalize it a little bit more on the screening in as much as the HOA was, as I said, very reasonable and made that its only real request at this point and require them to put in a tree of comparable screenage that they're taking out. I don't well, think you can require comparable screenage. I mean, that's a 56-foot tree. Well, something's got to go in there. If they're taking one out, it would seem reasonable to require them to put something in to, right. to well, screen it. My, my, my intention was to support your amendment, and obviously we'll, I want to hear everybody else's comments. It doesn't have to comments, be 56 feet. But, I mean, but, whatever it is. But I do think it would be unreasonable to require the planting of a 50-foot tree. I, we do require trees at certain It'll sizes grow. that will grow. So. Um, that's why I asked the staff I, I to be ready drafted. with language they, for they, they an amendment language. when we get to the motion. We don't need it now. Okay. Is that all right, James? When we get yes. to the motion? Okay. Yes. Thank you. Um, Councilwoman Maurer. We're taking just questions still? No, this, this is this is your Okay. You can take you can have questions. Or I have comments. one question this and two comments. Time. Assuming it's approved this evening, when will it be completed and residents um, start receiving better coverage? That would be better for the applicant to answer. If it's approved, uh, we will uh, be submitting for um, building permit um, right away. And uh, I, th I think that would probably take a couple, maybe a couple months through building and safety. Um, I know it is a pr priority for Verizon. So uh, right after that, um, looking hopefully for lucky um, end of the year. Anything we can do to expedite that, let us know. I'm sure staff will. We'll do okay. what they can at this end. Um, two comments in general, not for you. Um, I think it would be very helpful in the future if we had a couple standards as some of these come forward to us. One is I would like to see what the CTC recommends and see that they're implemented in the final version that we get. Um, I didn't know what they recommended. Um, so if we could standardize that piece of information that would be helpful. Also, I'm very unhappy with the six-day shot clock. I think that had there been any problems with this particular application or site, there is nothing we could do within six days. And I know that the CTC approved this on May 21st and, and maybe, you know, it would have required a special meeting, I would, I would guess. I know there's a 30-day notification, I think you said, so that brings us a short window. You have to back it up some way so that we have at least 30 days, maybe longer, to approve. And I'm not sure how you can do that or where you could have done that in the process. But I think that we need maybe as much as um, 45 days to review since there needs to be another 30-day notice window. 45 days for us to review in advance of the shot clock ending. And if we have to hold a special meeting, then we do that. If we can hold a special meeting to interview commissioners, I think we can uh, schedule a special meeting to go over an application like this. So those were my two comments, seeing what the CTC, uh, what their amendments were, and just kind of a short blurbs, a couple bullet points, just so I can be sure they're included in the staff report. And I would hope that there's some consensus up here that we not be backed up against the shot clock. And for the members of the public, I think you, or you may not know, but as soon as a completed application is submitted, a clock starts. And we only have so much time in order to um, meet a deadline. And we are six days away from that. So fortunately, I think this is a good 
application. I'll be supporting it, but um, I, I wouldn't want to be in this situation again. Yeah. Just so you know, I will take a little bit of the blame on this particular application because we, as you know, our last meeting was an eight o'clock meeting. We had an item on that agenda and I, I uh, in, in trying to schedule out the agendas, agreed to put it uh, on this one, where, whereas normally we would put it on the earliest possible agenda for, for the council, which would have been the, only the last agenda. So we would have had 20 days instead of six. Getting to 45 under the shot clock and under the ordinance that we passed, which requires CCTC with notice and here, it's not gonna happen. I mean, there's not, there, there is no way that that's gonna happen uh, if we follow our ordinance where it has to be noticed, go to CTC, noticed, come to us. It's, it's gonna be vi almost impossible. But, but, I, but the, the, the thought was the earliest possible council meeting, which in this case would have been the last council meeting and, and I made a call to put it here because, of, because we had the eight o'clock meeting and other issues. But, so I, I apologize on that. You're absolutely right. When I saw the six days in the agenda, I also was, uh, that was, uh, you don't wanna do that when you don't have to. I think Let it's also important to remember that this project's unlike others that will be coming to you, you know, after this, was applied for initially before the ordinance changed. So it, some of the shot clock got eaten away with analysis and review of the application on the old ordinance before the moratorium, mm. and then of course more of it afterwards. So this is a little bit unique in the sense that the shot clock got burned twice, and that's why it really came down to the six days in this instance. I don't think you're gonna look at that shorter time frame in the future. I, I think that's very helpful. So do you think 45 days is reasonable? 45 is probably a, a bit too on the outside because we're only starting with 150 from the time they first apply, and we have to get to DRC, ARP, CTC, 30-day notices. That's a lot of public meetings. Um, but you're, you're not gonna be looking at six days. Okay, I, th I think I've made my point in, in the future that we get at least 30-day notice then, something to that again. Thank you. Okay, Councilwoman Martin. Um, I have no questions. Um, my only comment, um, again, the, uh, for the, the screening in the trees, um, Verizon did agree to um, to put extra trees if that's what the HOA required, um, correct? So the, 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 yeah, the tree is not an issue, but so it shouldn't be an issue putting it in there because they've already agreed to the HOA that they would comply with that. Um, and uh, I had um, spoken with uh, Commissioner uh, Linda Stock um, on this information going to the CTC um, and her, uh, one of her reasons for denying was that uh, the alternatives, uh, the letter was not in there that the water district would not indemnify. So that was, she had no written documentation of that um, and we didn't get it until June 13th because um, you had sent it to me because I had requested the same thing. Um, so again, you know, all the information that's needed for the CTC to make this decision, they should have. Um, and it should be um, available on the website as well. Um, so that we're not getting it within the last week. You know, I had to request all of the, this information that was not in their packet and for her not to make the complete decision that she wanted to make. Um, 
And uh, that would be my only comment. Okay, thank you. Mayor Pro Tem Shapiro. Thank you. Uh, I'd like to say to staff, and I appreciate the full and thorough report provided tonight. I did spend the time also to watch the CTC meeting on this and appreciate the, the thorough uh, work and uh, the public comments there as well as the public comments tonight. They're very much appreciated. Uh, it's very important to me uh, as well that we have safety in our schools. We, uh, that's of the utmost importance to me uh, as a council member and as a parent. Uh, I, I think this location and looking at it and knowing the golf course well, although if there was one, if the monopole was put up on the uh, fairway, it would give me something else to hit while I'm playing. <laughs> Other than that, this, this location looks uh, like, like it is the best alternative and it is an excellent uh, choice given everything that the CTC uh, went through and everybody who's been involved in this project. I do appreciate Bob being here tonight and providing comments for Vista Point. I agree uh, that co-location is important with any existing uh, pole or new, new, uh, new uh, monopole that we put into service if, we, if, the, if it meets our requirements for noise and, and so forth. Um, I think the comments on, by my fellow council members on uh, camouflage, uh, requiring extra trees or trees to be replaced. Are, are well taken. The, the obvious question with regard to tr any trees is the location and height so that it doesn't affect the service, which is the reason the, the uh, pole is being put in in the first place. So I would hope our staff would be able to work on that uh, and come up with a solution. And that is it. I thank you very much and I am in support of this. Thank you very much. Uh, I also want to thank the, th the staff and the CTC for their work on this. I also want to thank the applicant. It's never fun to go first and to, um, uh, and to be stuck in a, in a moratorium. Um, but uh, we're, we're very appreciative of, your, uh, of you continuing to move forward on this. And I'm, I'm also very appreciative because what I think has occurred tonight, as important as getting this tower, was showing to me, and I was somewhat skeptical, that this ordinance can work. The ordinance actually provided a very good outline for how to analyze these um, uh, these types of applications, and here here it was not just on a piece of paper, but with the information inserted, and we're able to go through and really outline Michael's presentation of what we're looking at, and even in a case where we're at a low priority site, how you get there and how you show significant gap if in fact it exists, and how you go through the analysis. So. Um, I was very, very pleased of that, with that. I do think the most important point is that there was signif uh, very significant evidence of, of a gap in this, in this location, um, both technical evidence and uh, evidence from the public. Uh, you heard some tonight. We also received a tremendous amount of, of um, uh, signatures and letters and, and emails uh, regarding that, uh, regarding that um, that issue, uh, which was taken into into consideration, uh, in, and so I um, am uh, so I concur with the recommendation of the uh, Communications and Technology Commission, and I would uh, support a motion to be made in that regard with an amendment uh, to add the condition uh, the, that uh, was suggested by Councilman Zajan. Is the language ready? 
Yes, um, and one small point of clarification in the discussion there was uh, to, uh, to replace one tree. Is that the desire of the council? Um, I'll read a condition, have a general, and then you can insert the number of trees you feel is the most appropriate and uh, decide from there uh, to go with that. My, my support was for one tree, Glenn, and, it, the, the, and the I think the, also the, the nexus on, exists on the because it's a, right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I didn't hear your comments because we're both no, talking. No, I said that the number also depends on the country club. I mean, if they can accommodate. Well, what I was saying is my support is for a one-to-one -one replacement. That one's coming down, one goes up. And I think there is a nexus for that. I think when you start getting into more, you'd have to make more have to findings. So. Do more findings. Yeah. So uh, at least okay. one. With that said, we'll say the applicant shall plant one uh, minimum 36-inch box tree as replacement and mitigation for the removed tree. These trees shall be the same species, or this tree shall be the same species as the removed tree, and exact placement shall be determined in consultation with the property owner and the director. These trees shall be maintained in good health and shall be replaced, this, this tree shall be maintained in good health and shall be replaced if necessary due to loss for any reason. I, I'd say at least one that way if they, they wish to put in more they can. But we, our requirements are only going to be one, so please put at least one, and I would so move with that amendment. I'll second. It's been moved and seconded. Is there any further discussion? Seeing none, I have, Can oh, I yes. ask one question? Of course. If, if the Oaks is allowing uh, the easement on their property, would that cover the area that needs to be covered? As an alternative? No, remember, no? remember the issue was not the easement anymore. That's what Brian was saying. The problem is the indemnification the to put it on the, on okay. the water tower. And, and you may remember that that all came about when we had the, the, the issue yeah. on Adamsville. Mm -hmm. And it was the same issue there that they wouldn't indemnify us. And so that's how we, we rejected that application back then. Right. I wonder if that would change, though, if the homeowners were in agreement. Adamsville, the homeowners were not. They were against it. Do we think that would? Okay. Okay. We have a motion before us. Is there any further discussion by the council? Seeing none, all those in favor of the motion, please say aye. 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 Opposed? None. That's 5-0. Motion is passed. Thank you uh, to all involved. And we will move forward with our agenda. And we are at... Item nine, which is the check register. Any questions or comments regarding the check register for June 5 through June 12? Just a brief. 2013. Just a brief question, uh, comment. I just, uh, one of our staff members is uh, leaving this week to uh, pursue studies and other uh, great things, and I'd like to wish him the best on behalf of all the council. Mike Montgomery will appreciate all your work and uh, hard hard effort provided, uh, good work provided to our city. Thank you. And you decided to do that during the discussion of the check register? Well, he, I believe, prepared it. Yeah, he's, okay. he's All right, any other questions or comments regarding the check register? Seeing none, we'll move to item 10, future agenda items. Um, I will remind all council members that I'm asking, please, for you to submit your uh, commission appointments no later than uh, July 31st. Uh, and so that we can begin scheduling uh, them starting with the August 14th meeting and hopefully conclude with, uh, with 
Uh, yeah, Councilman Bazaj mentioned to me to make, because it wasn't on the agenda, to make sure that we have on the agenda on the August 14th meeting the commissioner appointments. Correct. Well, we're we're going to get the appointments hopefully by the 31st. We're going to contact the commissioners when they're available to come. We'll have as many come on the 14th as possible, and then the 28th will be the second meeting, and hopefully by then we will have completed that commission appointment process. Are there any other comments on the future agenda item list? Okay. Task force reports. Any task force reports? Well, I think the senior task force was engaged. <laughs> we, we heard some Already update heard. on the workshops. Yeah, That's we, an, uh, we updated from the, like the commission meeting. Okay. Anything else? Okay. Um, I have yeah. an update for you. Yes. Uh, for, from the, uh, the COG, just to let you know that um, the measure or the additional measure R money um, that uh, for the highway funds that we're going to be asking for is going to be on MTA's agenda tomorrow. Um, and uh, our representative from the COG will be there. And as soon as we hear from that, then uh, we'll send an email out to everyone. And the, uh, the website should be up and running uh, by next month. Very good. Any other task force reports? City manager's report. Uh, just one. The library commission uh, approved, and uh, we picked uh, uh, furnishings and colors for the uh, new senior area of, of the library. So that should be uh, coming shortly. The old gift shop. The old gift shop, <laughs> and uh, and uh, we'll, we'll let everybody know when that's uh, when that's functional. Very good. Okay. Is there any further business come before the council? Seeing none, we will adjourn tonight, uh, as we discussed earlier, in memory of Ed Shaughnessy and Carissa Lee Rex. And our meeting is adjourned until our next meeting on August 14th.